Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've already had some calls in this morning from some residents on the Dunteheen Road area of Formoy who tell us they're without phone and broadband services. Now, seemingly it was due to works that was undertaken on the road, but uh, for whatever reason, the work has left some residents without broadband and phone services and we're contacting, it seems to be a problem with air, so we're contacting air just to find out what is going on and how soon can the good people People of Dunteheen expect to have their phone and broadband service back. So thank you to people contacting us uh, about that this morning. There's a story making the front page of the Irish Examiner. Uh, it is Anne, the journalist Anne Murphy is uh, writing about it. And it is a story from an East Cork mother who decided, I think is so desperate that she has decided to speak about what life is like for her at uh, the moment. And it is all down to her not being able to get emergency respite for her 15-year-old son. And it's forcing her now to sleep in her bedroom with the door locked. And they've had to take desperate measures in that they've had to hide all of the knives in their home because of the threat that her 15-year-old son has made to her saying that he's going to kill her. So they've had to hide all of the knives. Now, the HSE are out apologising for the lack of respite service and, you know, the usual, they're continuing to try to sort out the problem. But this young 15-year-old boy has a diagnosis of autism. He was also diagnosed with ADHD and he is attached to CAMS, that's the Child and Adult uh, Adolescent Mental Health Services and he's also under the East Cork Disability Network and he is on medication. He's on medication for both his ADHD and he's also on medication for anxiety. And the mother is the boy's full-time carer and she says she is now living in fear for her life, particularly, she said, when her son's behaviour becomes what she described as heightened. And the only reason that she agreed to speak with Anne at the Irish Examiner was on the condition of anonymity because she wants to protect her family. And it isn't easy for any mother to speak out and talk about living in fear of her son and is afraid that her her son might kill her. They're not easy words for any mother to have to share with anybody else. You do everything that you can to hide that, to let on there's nothing going, you know, everything's okay in this house, you know, we're struggling, but we'll keep going. You don't want to admit it. Now, seemingly her GP has been involved. He's already written to the HSE last year. Now, last year he wrote requesting urgent consideration 
of emergency respite for this boy, stating that the mum is struggling. His behaviour has become more challenging, particularly in recent weeks. Now, that was last year. The GP in the letter said, mum has been unable to leave the family home and her son has been unable to attend school due to a te- deterioration in his mental state and his behaviour. Uh, that followed an earlier call by the GP back three years ago in 2020. Please, can we have some respite for this uh, family? The mother said she's actually been looking for respite since 2019. So this has been going on even before the pandemic because we know since the pandemic, all the respite centres closed and not all of them have reopened. But she's been calling out since 2019 and here we are in 2023 and she's still living in fear from her own son. And a 15-year-old boy... It could be a big, strong, strapping lad. You look at most 15-year-olds today, they can be as tall and as big as as any man of uh, 30. She said she's applied also for a home care package. She asked for a home care package that they just give her a few hours to complete some of the daily tasks that she needs to do. And and obviously when this boy uh, kicks off, even doing daily tasks around the house is, is impossible. That's been refused. Now, she describes her son as a good-natured, polite, happy, funny boy who loves to engage with his peers. He desperately wants to make friends and he desperately wants to be with his, his friends. She said, however, he's crippled with anxiety. And she said, anxiety is a beast which causes his behaviours to escalate and then simply to spiral out of control. And because of that, he becomes impulsive, he becomes unpredictable, he becomes aggressive and he becomes rigid. She said, it got to the point where we simply had to hide all of the knives. He wants to kill me. He wants to choke me. He's obsessed with death. He's obsessed with violence and he's obsessed with execution. She said her son's behaviour has really, really worsened since the onset of uh, puberty. But he retains the emotional traits of a young child at times. Now, she says in recent weeks, she's had to take, because of concerns, she's had to take his computer away because she was concerned about the nature of what he was interacting with when he went online. Her GP has given her a letter to give to the emergency services in the event that there is such a violent episode that she needs to call in the emergency services, i.e. she may need to call in the guards. So she's a, a letter waiting from the GP who will be able to explain the background to the case. But she said what's really worrying is he's obsessed with knives and he's obsessed with guns. Obviously they don't have guns in the house so she's had to hide all of uh, the knives. Uh, she says we have no place to go to look for help. Now a spokesperson for the Cork Kerry Community Healthcare said they deeply regret that there is a shortage of overnight respite provision for children with disabilities in the Cork area and they say they're working to address the shortage. They say applications for respite are made to the Regional Children's Respite Forum and the available respite then is allocated on the basis of prioritised need. And, well, listen, listening to this family and listening to this mother and the fact that the GP has written she's been calling out for help, if she's not high on the list of prioritised needs, I don't know who is. Spokesperson said the HSE will now engage directly with the family and in particular they're going to examine uh, whether alternative types of support or respite might be appropriate. I don't fully know what they mean there. They say they continue to work to reopen respite beds 
which have been closed and they're working to further develop the provision of overnight respite services in Cork and a lot of families will be glad to hear that but we'll be asking when are you going to open those uh, extra beds and when I was reading that piece from Anne Murphy in the Examiner uh, today um, the first thing I thought of was that that you know that mother and that child are not alone and that family are not alone and there will be others listening to this programme this morning, absolutely a breaking point. Families struggling to care for children with special needs, families struggling to care for adults full-time at home with little or no support and for sure they're not getting any respite. And the respite is important because it gives the carer a little bit of a break. It gives them the chance to kind of recharge their batteries and then when their loved one comes back, they're able to continue with the caring until they get their next respite break. But without it, we're simply going to see more carers just not able to cope. Something needs to happen and something needs to happen uh, quickly. The one thing I will say, I don't know if that mother from East Cork listens to it or not, but if she is listening, I applaud you for your bravery. I I really, uh, really do. uh, Because many, many carers are so broken that they they can't even uh, talk up. So thankfully, this family will get the help it will require. And often that does happen when a spotlight is is shone on a particular family. They'll pull out all the stops to help her out. And and I do hope she gets the help that she needs. But I hope also that by her telling her story, the spotlight is very much on the plight of so many other family carers who, as I say, are not as brave as this mother to come forward to share her story. But it really, really is heartbreaking to think that a mother who loves this boy so much and even the way, you know, she describes him when he's good, like he's good natured, he's polite, he's happy, he's, he's funny. But it's when the anxiety kicks in and the fact that he hasn't been able to go to school and he's missing out on interacting uh, with his peers, that's just making the anxiety and the behaviours and causing the behaviours to escalate. But your heart would break for that mum and any other family going through a similar situation. So WhatsApp says, morning, Patricia. I feel so sorry for that mother in East Cork. Speaking out to the Irish Examiner today, she is just so brave. But isn't it typical we here in Ireland powers that be seem to be able to look after everyone but our own and uh, Jenny said shame on the HSE for leaving this family with no help it's not like the mum hasn't asked for help yet and she's um, outlined uh, in the article that since 2019 she has been looking for uh, help and only last year her doctor wrote again on her behalf and the doctor had also written in 2020 about the urgent need for respite for this family so let's wait and see because it does often happen when it gets publicly highlighted like that. Um, Hopefully heaven and earth will be moved in order to get some help for the family. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Now a record number of renters were issued with notices to quit due to the lifting of the eviction ban but unfortunately the government has no plans to reintroduce it. To talk about what people are facing at the moment I'm joined by Anne-Marie O'Reilly. Now Anne-Marie is National Advocacy Manager with the Housing Charity at Threshold. Good morning to you Anne-Marie. Good morning Trisha. And you're welcome. Were you expecting the numbers of notices to quit that have been recorded or did they even surprise you at Threshold? 
it does. It was quite a jump, uh, to be honest, uh, in the notices that were issued, um, and it, it's hard to tell. Um, is uh, how is that a, a re- reflection of what has been going on the last couple of years? Because the need for landlords to send those notices into the RTB—that's something that was only brought in in the last year or so. Um, so maybe it's a case of landlords now realising, oh, I need to do this and they're sending it in, or it could actually be the case that there's that many more notices actually being issued. So it is a little bit difficult to tell. Mm. But certainly within within our service, we are seeing um, a fairly consistent uh, number of notices coming in each month. Uh, so I suppose in that regard, it's not, you know, we're seeing it every day. Uh, so figures like this, when they're published, maybe don't strike us as much as they might strike others. And do we know the reasons why uh, landlords are, are giving? I mean, are many of them exiting the rental market? Mm, that's certainly what we're seeing, yeah. So about two-thirds of the notices that are brought to us by renters um, are because their landlord is selling. Yeah, that's, that's uh, their, their reason Yeah, for, for issuing the notice. And then about another 13% are from landlords who require the property for themselves or a family member. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's sale is, is the, the main reason. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, I mean, we always tell uh, renters if we ever get contacted by people who are so desperate when they get this notice to quit, we're always mm-hmm. saying check in with that threshold to make sure mm-hmm. that the quit notice is, is valid. Are mm-hmm. you seeing many invalid ones? Um, so, yeah, we see um, when it comes to ones for sale, it's about 50-50, to be honest, of what we would see as um, valid, you know, whereby it, it contains all the things that are required under the law. And now it has, since landlords are now required to send that notice to the RTV, that's another step in the process that wasn't there before. And so there can be a little bit of... Um, uh, waiting game to, to get the verification that the RTB has received it. So, but when it comes to sale, it's in around 50-50. Uh, and that is a real challenge then because, uh, like, you know, in threshold, what, what we want to do first and foremost is keep the person in the home. That's mm. the first thing we want to do. They have a home, they're happy in that home, they want to stay in that home. So where the landlord has issued a notice that is valid, that's put in the law, and where they can act on it, then the, the, the person has to start looking for a new home. And whether they have three months, six months, eight months, whatever it is, that is that is a challenge now for people. So there is the tenant in situ scheme, which is which is working very, very well for a lot of people. A lot of the local authorities have really um, taken to it and are really um, going out there and, tr- and trying to buy the homes uh, for people where that's an option. So that's one thing. Uh, that's available, but where that isn't a runner, it, it gets very challenging for people to go find a new home. Explain to people that tenant in, in situ uh, mm. scheme, Amory. Yeah, yeah. So if somebody is renting and they are uh, eligible for social housing, um, they can approach the local authority to say, "Look, my landlord is selling the home. Um, would you consider buying it?" The local authority then can contact the landlord, see if the landlord's interested in selling to them, and then set about, you know, engaging in in that sale. Now, I probably made it sound incredibly very, very <laughs> simple there, um, but that's the that's the, the long and the short of it, really. Now, where somebody isn't eligible for social housing, there is the option of the cost 
rental tenants such scheme. And that one's quite new and that's only really uh, kicking off in the last you know, couple of months. And that's where an approved housing body more likely would buy the property. And then they would rent it. They would rent it to the tenant on a cost rental basis. So the rent is based on the cost of buying and uh, maintaining that home. Uh, so we're still, I guess, we're, we're hoping to see that start to build off now, and the numbers start to come in in that in the next year or, or through the rest of the year. So there's an option there for people who are eligible for social housing and those that aren't, which is which is fantastic. Okay, and and I mentioned in, in my introduction that you know this uh, the number of uh, renters mm. issued was is since the uh, eviction ban was li- lifted. But I did hear the Taoiseach say that that and it was always a temporary ev- eviction ban that mm. when it was mm. in place it didn't reduce homelessness. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah. So what it did was it stopped the homeless numbers getting much much larger. So what we've been seeing is. The numbers of people uh, entering homelessness, um, well, sorry, we haven't seen the number of people exiting homelessness as we might have seen a couple of years ago during the eviction bans during COVID. Uh, so when with those eviction bans are in, yes, there were still a small number of people entering homelessness, but luckily a lot of people were able to exit and that's where we really saw the drop in homeless figures. When that ban was brought in last September, uh, there would have been a lot more people enter homelessness than than there did. Uh, but on the other side of it, unfortunately, a lot of people weren't able to exit homelessness. So the numbers didn't really drop in the way they would have during the other eviction bans. And also what we were seeing by September last year, ourselves and others working in this area, a lot of local authorities had no more emergency accommodation to give. So they were turning people away. And the homeless numbers only count who's in emergency accommodation. Yeah. So it really is just the maximum number of beds they can provide. So there would have been a lot of people who were in, maybe sleeping in cars, maybe sleeping on couches, who would have been counted in the homeless numbers if if the, a bed had been available for them. So it's I guess it's a bit more complicated than just going, oh, you know, the numbers went up, so it didn't do anything. It did do a lot. It kept a lot of people in homes. Uh, for a few months longer and gave them more time to find another home. And then with the tenant and situ schemes being brought in, that was a, a lifeline that was there as well that really got up and running uh, toward the end of the ban. But if we see more of these private landlords exiting the market, as we seem mm. to be uh, seeing, I mean, do you worry that we will see more people finding it even more difficult to find new accommodation and that will force them into emergency accommodation. That is the risk because, yeah, as you know, when someone's renting, their landlord decides to sell and so are a few hundred thousand other landlords. Well, where do those renters then go? Um, you know, a few will be able to avail of tenant in situ. A few may be able to um, get social housing. They might be high enough up on the list for that. Um, some may be in a position that this, the the first home scheme has been made available to renters to buy their home if the landlord is leaving. Some will be able to avail of that. But it does leave a considerable number of others at risk. And uh, we are seeing that through our services where people have the notice to leave. They haven't been able to find any, anywhere else and they're maybe even struggling to get viewing because there's so little available. So it does place people at considerable risk in a way that we haven't 
seen in previous years. Are we talking about this affecting all age groups, including children, Ambry? Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Like our our threshold clients come from across, um, you know, society, um, young, old, working, um, single parents, um, and uh, you know, obviously those who are who are already a bit more vulnerable are, are um, at risk. Really, do face the worst of it. But overall, yeah, we're seeing people from all walks of life um, facing this situation. Like I think a lot of the time we focus on and we, we talk about families with children who are mm, facing into mm. homelessness, living in emergency accommodation, mm. how difficult it is. Mm. But but I often think about older people, Anne-Marie. Yes. It yes. must be horrendous for mm. an elderly mm-hmm. person to be faced with homelessness. Mm. Yeah, and that's something that um, I guess ourselves, we've been drawing more attention to and we worked with alone on a piece of research over the last year. So <clears throat> identifying the risk by older people who are renting and what occurs when let's say the landlord decides to sell or when the rent goes up so much that they struggle to afford it and emergency accommodation is not a place where anybody wants to end up but to be an older person going into a place like that can be very what can be terrifying and um, we'd, we'd hope we'd do whatever we can to prevent that happening for somebody who's older Okay, and let's try and finish on some kind of a positive. I was reading on the front page of the Irish Times today, the government discussing moves to divert as much as €8 billion. This is from the new Sovereign Wealth Fund. And they're talking about putting it into housing. The money would go into the state-controlled land development uh, agency. And the whole idea is is to build, uh, is to get developers to build on public and, and private land. We need to be, yes. bi- but but of course, when you start building houses, it, there's a period of time before we get those houses mm-hmm. built. But we need to be building mm-hmm. more houses. I mean, that's the simple answer, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah, and and it needs to be like that state-led or through the approved housing bodies because it has to be housing that is affordable. Um, so because we certainly don't need tens of thousands of high-end units that people can't afford to rent or buy. So yes. Uh, State-led, AHB-led housing developments are exactly what we need to see. And um, it's I, I actually haven't seen that article yet, but it's very positive to hear. I know there are challenges you know, with materials and, and, and um, all and staff and everything like that, but no, that, that's a really positive and that really shows, I guess, the government recognise the scale of this issue mm. and that it, ha- it has to be addressed. Okay. Well, well. Uh, as always, uh, Marie. Uh, good luck with everybody at Threshold. The number for Threshold for people to call. It's one eight hundred four five four four five four, and they can also jump on Threshold.ie and use our web chat if that suits better. Okay. Listen. Good luck, and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Anne Marie O'Reilly. Anne Marie is the National Advocacy Manager with the Housing Charity at Threshold. Court today on C103. Now an MEP has called for a specific use payment to be gifted to young people as part of Budget 2024 and it will be aimed at promoting culture and the arts. To talk about his suggestion, Colin Markey, MEP for Midlands Northwest, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, you're looking at a gift for young people when they reach the age of 18. How much in value and how would it work? 
Well, essentially, we're looking at a, a 200 euro voucher to be given to young people specifically to allow them to explore the arts, culture and the, the like of theatre to, if you like, to encourage them to, to develop an interest in the arts. At the same time, also maybe look to see if it might stimulate some creative talents of their own. How it would work, I suppose, is, is we were hoping that we'd uh, an, develop an app that, w- that would have the voucher available on it, but it also would be the opportunity for all indigenous um, arts offerings, if you like, to advertise their, 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 their offering on the app so that people could go onto the app they could see what's available and then uh, use their voucher then to, to access some of that, that content, if you like. That's very clever. And, and they could use it anywhere in the country? They could use it anywhere in the country. I think it would, uh, if you like, it would, on the other side, this it would be an injection for the industry in, uh, in, in terms of a sector that was hit very hard by COVID. So really what you're looking at is, let's say, a local theatre group would ensure that their, their upcoming performances would be included on the app so that the young people could, could then see what was available. And it would be primarily, to, well, well, totally to, to support Indigenous acts and Indigenous uh, arts, uh, be it arts, be it culture, theatre, uh, even even the, the like of museums. I think, to be fair to, to Ireland, we've always had a great history in, in the arts and in supporting the arts. And this is just to open that up to a new generation. And and do you feel it is important at that particular age, 18, you know, they're heading out into the world, some will be going on to college, uh, some will be going out to, to work. But is it important that, that you, at that age, to foster that love of culture and the arts? I think it's vital that we foster that love of culture and the, the arts. As I say, it's something that we've always had a tradition of in Ireland and when someone like uh, maybe like particularly modern theatre or uh, just going to a to a performance of uh, of, a, of a local theatre company or a professional local theatre company it's something that maybe someone wouldn't have done as a child they may have done to gone to like the panto or things like that and it would be just something that would be new to them and when they'd see it and experience it for the first time they'd be delighted to go back maybe again and it could stimulate a lifelong interest in the yeah. arts and I think that's that's something like when, when so much of our content is digital content and is international content at this stage to actually encourage something that's indigenous and is, is very like I think most of our, our, our very successful Irish artists have come from a background of the culture of arts that's in Ireland whether it be musicians with tragic music as we saw at the FLA this week in Mullingar or whether it be writers or poets, it's based on a, if you like, standing on the shoulders of previous, a, 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 let's say, successes in the past. And we've always had an enormous tradition. And if we can stimulate that and encourage the next generation to yeah. carry that forward, I think it's. And it's not only, it's not just about that, but it's also about developing a lifelong interest in the arts, which I think is something that rounds anybody. Like. A, you know, you can go to a play and there's a message in that play that you can reflect on over the next few days that, that as an individual you can you can get so much from. And I think in terms of society today where so much is digital and so much is online, to be encouraging people to just experience the, something in the local theatre to a, something that maybe has a very Irish feel to it, takes them away from that online all the time scenario that we've seen, particularly... 
COVID and people have been away from that type of thing as well. So. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you really have hit on something here and I think you're right. It's, you know, young people, it's been all about digital. It's all been about what's on their smartphone, what's what's on their tablet. And they did lose out because of, uh, certainly the, the today's generation lost out because, you know, so much of the arts wasn't going on for a number of years because of the pandemic. And there's nothing like going to an actual live event, is there? Nothing, absolutely nothing. I, I've always loved be it going to a concert and I suppose I grew up in Nero when there was an awful lot of Irish bands just coming through and the, every weekend in local towns of Drottland and Dock there'd always be a, an up-and-coming band playing and we always loved to go along to that. I was involved in actually a, a local theatre group back in my mocker days where we, we wrote and produced and performed free plays of our own working with a local theatre company. And those type of experiences that you get, th- those seeds were sown by actually going and watching a, watching a play yourself. And the idea of that exposure to that really does cultivate an interest. And that interest can be a lifelong interest. And I think that that's so important. As you said yourself, there's nothing like it. No, so no. I, and, and I think the real positive as well is that, as you mentioned, the spin-off will be that financial injection into our indigenous cultural industries. That is just so important. It's so important in terms of what they've come through in terms of COVID. Like it really, you talk about every sector, but the the arts sector always was, was living on a knife edge in terms of budgets. And it was completely shut down for three years. People had moved on to other, like let's say, let's say sound people or photographers or different people at different elements of of the art had just moved on to others, other things because they had no business. And it really does need an injection into to, to support it and get it back onto its feet. And in reality, while this is a two hundred euro voucher to an individual that's eighteen, it's also a massive investment in the industry because that person isn't going to go to that play or that, that theatre or that concert or whatever it is on, on their own. They're gonna bring someone with them, they're gonna go with a few friends. And that means a big it there'll be a multiplier in that, whether it be family or friends, there'll be more than just the person with the voucher go, going on that particular night. And it's it's not an investment in the people, it's an investment in the sector as well. And it's a sector that sorely needs it. Have you sounded out uh, people like the uh, any youth organisation to see how they feel about a suggestion like this? Well, certainly, I know the, the National Youth Council of Ireland are interested in supporting an idea like this. It's also something that, that has previously run in Germany quite successfully and continues to run in Germany. So it's not like it's a completely new concept. It's worked in Germany for a number of years quite successfully. The youth councillor are in favour as well. I wrote to the, 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 both, the, both ministers responsible in relation to the idea of, if you like, seeing it, can we progress it? So... I think it's an excellent idea. Others do as well and it has a track record of working in Germany. Somebody says, why give it to 18-year-olds? Have you thought about giving the €200 Euro voucher to pensioners? Uh, they are struggling as well. They'd love to go to various events. Yeah, I, I think you could give it to everybody and look, at we might as well give one to everyone in the country. But the beauty of giving it to an 18-year-old is you can, they probably don't engage with the local theatres as much the, a lot of their life is online and I think it, it, it's at a young age where it can cultivate an interest for, for many years to come and ultimately if young people are going to, to these events that makes them more sustainable and that makes more of them available and more cost effective for everybody so I think it's it's, it's a win for everyone as, as much as it's a win for them. Have you costed it by the way um, Colm? 
Well, what we're looking at, I suppose, is in reality, you're looking at about 65,000 uh, pe- people would turn 18, okay. 60 to 65,000 people would turn 18 each year. And if you talk about 200 per person, that would be 13 million. Now, in reality, everyone won't take it up. And secondly, even anyone who takes it up probably won't, you mightn't use the full value of it. They might only, you know, access 100, 150 euros of it. So at its, at the very upper end, it would be 13 million. But I'd imagine it would be uh, somewhat short of that, that that would actually be taken up. So in the context of the budget and the overall, like in, in, in investment in the arts, where there's plenty of investments in other ways, uh, it's, it's not th- that much of a figure. That could have a significant impact. It's an investment in the individuals, but also an investment in the sector that would probably come from another way eh, and maybe not have as much effect. So I think it's good value for money at that. Okay, and you've put this uh, suggestion forward to have it contained in the budget that gets announced in October. Well, that's what I'm looking for. Oh, yes, okay. and we'll hopefully we'll, we'll get a little bit of feedback on that over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, and see. Hopefully, we, we, we will keep. We will keep a close eye on this one, Colm. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. And yeah, Good morning. Have a good day. That is uh, Fina Gale, MEP, uh, Colm Markey. And Colm is uh, MEP from Midlands uh, North West with the suggestion of that €200 Euro, uh, voucher for 18-year-olds to be spent on uh, culture. I've just seen a text in St. Patricia. Why should 18-year-olds get everything and everybody else get nothing? Haven't we given these young people enough, says this texter. Give the vouchers instead to carers like that poor woman from East Cork with her 15-year-old son that you mentioned at the start of the programme. In fairness, a woman, a lady like that would need a break. Yeah, except the only problem is she wouldn't be able to get out of the house. But yeah, I, I see where you're coming from uh, with your thought, Patron. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. We were talking about housing a couple of minutes ago and the number of people who have had their notices to quit on the increase, of course, since the eviction ban was uh, lifted. Um, some people with uh, suggestions on housing bill in Clonakilty. Oh, this is when I mentioned at the end of my interview with Anne-Marie from Threshold, I mentioned that I was reading on the Irish Times uh, today that the government is discussing uh, moves to spend as much as €8 billion Euro from the new Sovereign Wealth Fund and they're planning on putting it into houses. Uh, it's part of a, a, a fresh push to try to boost the supply of social and affordable houses. And I mentioned that the money Money will go to the Land Development Agency as it enters into new partnership with private developers to build on public and private land. That prompted Bill to contact us to say keep the developers away from the housing. Let people like the Peter McVerry Trust and other housing organisations, let them do the work. Let those guys put the houses together as nearly half of the money Uh, So give the likes of these housing organisations the planning permission. Let these guys put the same houses. I'm sorry, it's a bit mixed up there. Okay, but I know the point you're making. Bill is saying don't give it to private uh, developers. Give it to the Peter McVerry. But then Peter McVerry has to try. We're we're talking about building new houses with this eight uh, billion. I mean, out of the eight billion you could buy. But I think what they're talking about here is actually physically building the houses. Marie Infamoy says it's amazing in back in the 60s. 50s and 60s, our government could build hundreds of thousands of houses right across the country. Now, I know our population is higher today, but why can't we do something like was done 
by previous governments? Why is everything handed over to the private sector? Or is it a case that all the public land is now used up? No, because they're talking about the money would be spent, would be given to private developers to build on both public and private land. So there is public land there. But you are right. The, the what was known as the corporation houses at the time, they were, they started building those almost in the late 40s, certainly across the 50s and into the uh, 60s. I mean, there's a lot of people living in those corporation council houses, which have now subsequently, of course, been sold on and people have done renovation works. And a lot of those houses would have been built in. There was a huge, huge building undertaken in, at a time when the country wasn't awash with money. So, yeah, I, I can see why we don't go back to that kind of a model. I don't know if it's just as simple uh, as uh, that. It, where somebody probably tell me you're living in La La Land if you think it's a simple as what they did back in the 50s and uh, 60s. Patricia, why are the authorities of this country always seemingly looking after everyone else before the actual Irish people when it comes to housing, health and social protection? And Martin says, Patricia, our government not ever going to help us, the Irish? What is the problem with helping their own people? It's complete banjaxed system of doing things. It's all to do with helping foreigners and it's so sad that us Irish seem to be forgotten about. Just take a look at the petrol prices, no need for the government to put up the prices, but yet they're going to go up again with the excise uh, duty. And someone else on housing says, we need to house all of our own people now as there is a lot of unrest starting around the country with some people and that will it always ends in trouble. I know we need to house the people who are fleeing from war zones, said uh, Audrey, but we need to start housing uh, the Irish first. Now, a number of uh, people are saying why the idea of giving the culture vouchers to young people is great. There's a number of people saying give it to old age pensioners. They need the vouchers and they are the ones who would go out and would attend cultural events. But I think that's where you're missing the point is try to encourage young people who traditionally wouldn't go is to try to encourage them to go along to it and Eastern Skibbereen says, what a great idea from Colin Markey. We need to support the arts in this country. Lisa also points out, just for people who didn't know, this week is National Heritage Week. There's so much to see and do from old buildings to events in libraries. Please check it out and support any event in your area to celebrate National Heritage Week. Thank you for that, Lisa. Listener on by text saying, what is the cost of the secondary school bus ticket this year? cost of the school transport scheme 2023-2024. Primary school child, it's €50 and a post-primary school child, it's €75. In fairness to the department, they are trying to keep those costs uh, down. That's if you're lucky enough to be able to get a seat on the bus. We already dealt last week and I don't think it'll be our only uh, interview this year about those concessionary tickets and people scrambling to get a seat on the bus. But I'm assuming from the thrust of that text, this is someone who's entitled to a seat on the bus. So if it's secondary school, it's 75 uh, euro and the maximum fee for a family is 125. So 50 for primary, 75 for secondary and the maximum if you've more then one child on the bus is 125. Hope that's the information you are looking for. And then the story that literally, literally had me scratching when I heard about it over the weekend. And now that I'm even going to talk about it, I'm already starting to uh, scratch. And this is, uh, I suppose, any parent who has ever discovered that their child has head lice, you will have one thing and one thing only on your mind, and that is to get rid of the head lice from your children's head 
as quickly as possible and probably everybody in the house will get a dose of whatever chemical you're using to get rid of uh, the nits because, you know, the note comes home from school and everybody, the fine tooth comb comes out and you're examining your child's head and you're in dread that you're going to find uh, either a creepy crawly or one of the little lice that stick on those little white egg things that stick on to the hair. Well, so you think that all over the world you would think that that's what parents do. Well, that's not the case because an Australian Australian mother has been highlighted because she's taking the opposite approach and her approach is she doesn't want to harm the nits and how this story came out of Australia was a concerned parent, not the mum in question here, another concerned parent wrote into an advice column looking for help. And she wrote to say that her neighbour has refused to treat her own daughter's lice because they're a vegan family and vegans don't like killing things. So she explained that her seven-year-old daughter is best friends with the little girl next door. And this little girl next door are the family who are vegan. And she said, that's fine. We respect their choice. Don't She doesn't have an issue with them being vegan. But her problem is that recently when the little girl from next door, who was a delightful child, came over to the other house on a little bit of a play date, she noticed that the girl from next door was scratching her head uh, furiously. So when she took a look at the child's hair, she could see that she was literally crawling with head lice. So obviously... What do you do? You go over the back fence to the neighbour next door to have a nice little chat to say, in case you haven't noticed, your little girl has nits. You need to do something about it. But when she said it to the mother, the mother said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm very aware of that, but I'm not able to harm them because we're vegans and we won't kill anything. So she said that what she'd been doing for her for her daughter was, uh, she said, I, I take her out into the back garden and I'm getting into practising. I'm combing out the lice and the nits into the garden where the mother says, I think they have the best chance of survival. So she's not putting any kind of chemical or doing anything to stop the nits. She just takes her out into the garden, I don't know, every day and combs them out with a fine tooth comb. And a lot of them obviously will hop, will hop off and she will get some of the, the little eggs off. But she's obviously not getting uh, all of them. And And actually, I read... And I wasn't aware of this, that she, she maybe she doesn't realise this, but she's actually condemning the nits to a slow and painful death because they won't survive in the garden because if they fall off the head, they, they'll actually die. But anyway, maybe somebody would want to point that out to her. I'm scratching now as I'm, as I'm even uh, talking to you about this. But how would you handle, I, I know it's an, a really extreme case, but how would you handle a situation like that? I mean, would you stop... Would you stop your child playing with the child next door? And and I know the mum in question said like she really doesn't want to do that because this is the little girl's, you know, the little girl's best friend. And it's, but I mean, certainly she, she would want to be dosing everybody in her own house because she, her own daughter is just going to keep getting reinfected. And you know, little seven-year-old girls, when they're playing, their heads are so close together. If they're down on the ground playing with dolls or whatever it is or kicking a football around, whatever it is they're doing, they're very in very close contact uh, with each other. But it is such a bizarre uh, story. But how would you handle it? And what, what would you do? 0818-103-103. Your thoughts welcomed on that. And then there's a WhatsApp in uh, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this from a listener who says you know, she, she describes what she 
she says she was distressed by what she witnessed in a packed photo in Cork yesterday. What she witnessed was a lady with a young baby who she was breastfeeding. But this texture says that the, the woman who was breastfeeding, the mum, exposed her breast while she was feeding the baby in the playground. She even proceeded to walk around the slides because she was minding another child at the same time. And she did that with her breast exposed while breastfeeding. Then she changed the baby in the pram, even though it was right next to the toilets and the toilets there do have changing facilities. And then she straddled herself at the base of the slide and this listener reckoned she was exposing herself below the waist as she had a very short, flimsy dress on. I'm asking this morning to to put it out to your listeners, please. Is this right in a public place in front of children and adults alike? What would it be if a man flashed or went to the toilet there? I'm sure there would be uproar. This lady, in my opinion, lacked respect for herself and uh, others. Now, whatever about her sitting on the slide in a very flimsy dress. I mean, I don't know how much she was actually exposing. But I suppose on the breastfeeding one, I mean, I have to say, I love, love, love to see mums breastfeeding their babies when we're out public. I think it is the most natural thing that you can see in the world. But it, but I have to say, any time I've ever witnessed mums breastfeeding, people do it very, very discreetly. I mean, you can get these, it's almost like a shawl, isn't it, that you can place over the baby so that you can be very discreet. I don't think I've ever publicly seen a mother literally take out her boob and start breastfeeding. I think it's always done very, very uh, discreetly. Now, and, in, and I'm assuming from the thrust of this text that this woman wasn't in any way being discreet But then maybe she feels this is the most natural thing in the world. I don't need to be discreet. All I'm doing is breastfeeding my baby. Your thoughts are welcomed on it. 0818 103 103. We're not getting into the discussion, by the way, of should mothers not be allowed to breastfeed in public. Of course they should be allowed to breastfeed in public or in a restaurant or anywhere they want to do it. But it's just around the discreetness of it. Are there discreet ways uh, to do it? Or should we not even be having this discussion? It is a natural thing. She's feeding her baby, so she should be allowed to expose her breast while she is feeding the baby. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text you on WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Now, PK Rubber Limited, they're based in Coachford. They've got vacancies for full or part-time drivers. It's for rigid and arctic trucks. They are also looking for a general foreman. 086 294 3987. Cow Asian food, Street Food in Mallow. They're looking for full-time waiting staff. My experience is desirable, although it's not essential. Uh, CVs to cowmanager at gmail.com. And please note that cow is spelled K-H-A-O. PepsiCo, they're based in Little Island. They're currently hiring for their temporary production operator panel. CVs, please, to pepsicojobs.com. And you need to have them in by the 20th of August. And an early years assistant with the minimum FeedTech Level 6 in childcare. Wanted for preschool in Town. CVs, please, to Little Village 0641313. And that's at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... 
C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Firefighters have accused the government of putting lives at risk by allowing a firefighter recruitment and retention crisis to persist as they escalate their strike action. Last Saturday, all retained fire stations went dark, meaning no internal communications other than life-saving information to discuss just how bad it is. I'm joined by Jonathan Madden of uh, SIP2. Good morning to Jonathan. Hi Patricia, how are you keeping? Good to speak to you again. And good to speak to you as well. Can you, I suppose, start by reminding uh, listeners, Jonathan, what retained firefighters are looking for? Yeah, I suppose um, back in last November gone, um, it finally came to a head between the, the unions and uh, the Minister Darrow Breen that uh, there was a recruitment and retention crisis in the fire service across the whole country. Um, in Mallow alone, I suppose we should have 12 staff. We only have nine we probably haven't had 12 staff in, in five years. So it's just slowly dipping down across the whole country. And the minister uh, admitted there was a, an issue and he employed a company coil, uh, to do a coil report. And we were all asked to give our information on what we thought we found was wrong with the service and the recruitment and retention issues. Um, and we gave that. And there were 13 recommendations came out of it. And then when it, when it came to times to implement it, um, the minister didn't want to implement it, ignored it. Um, and then obviously industrial action started on the 6th of June um, and went on for a couple of weeks. And then the minister it went to the Labour court after that. Um, and the Labour court came back with recommendations. But they came back with an increase in the retainer, which is the only guaranteed income firefighters have. Um, and the percentages were high if you look at it on paper, but a high percentage of a low figure is not an, is not very attractive and it's still not very attractive. And the whole issue is that we can't get people to join the job uh, and this little bit of an increase they gave will not sort the problem. We've more people leaving the job. Uh, there's 350 vacancies across the country and they're looking to, in in the document in, that the Labour Court came, they said they're going to, to give us 400 extra jobs. But that means 750 people have to be found, which is impossible because it's just not attractive enough for the conditions we have to work at. It's a bit like COVID, Patricia. You're confined to the town of Mallow, say for argument's sake, just for where I am, and that's two and a half kilometres. I cannot leave that town until there's someone else there to take over when I'm away. Um, and then the lads are the same I have to have enough firefighters there to leave away the crew so when you have a crew of 9 it means you're restricted when you should have a crew of 12 so time off is is a problem and that's the the whole issue of it is recruitment and retention Yeah and (coughs) and I think that is important to point out Jonathan that people who do sign up as uh, retained firefighters that hugely impacts on somebody's life and, and on your family's life Massive, like I, I, I couldn't do the job without my wife and kids. You know, my boys are twelve and nine, uh, twelve and eight, sorry, and they're very understanding. Um, and they've often been dropped to the fire station in the car and have to wait until their mother comes and collects them because they're somewhere with me. You know, uh, I can't be with them if I'm on call and there's no one else to look after them. I have to. It can't happen. So there has to be someone in place at all times. You know. Um, we're in town at a minute's notice you have to go from my family if I'm downtown doing something with them or soccer matches I've missed because we're so understaffed, you know. Um, it impedes in our life and, and, you know, work and it's a work-life balance, I suppose, of what we're looking for and just to be paid 
to be paid better so we could do our job comfortably. Um, and look, you probably heard the issue of people on social welfare and stuff because of the job as well, because yeah, it's not as busy in some places, this, you know. This only broke um, uh, last, last <coughs> week. What, what is the issue around the social welfare and some people aren't um, going to be allowed to claim it? I suppose, you know, some people uh, were able to claim it with, if you fit the criteria. The minister a couple of years ago, um, I think it was actually, John, it might have been John, yeah, brought, brought it in and it was agreed that if you were under the thresholds, you know, because some stations are busier than others. Yeah. So, and some people have jobs in them towns that can get jobs and in busier stations you mightn't be able to get jobs. So, we, they were supplementing their wages but to me straight away when you have to supplement someone's wages it's, a it's not a good mark. job yeah, you yeah, know it's, it's a, question, it, it, a, question it's a low mark. paid we're, we're classed as low paid workers is what we're actually classed as you know and the thing is for new people to join um, that are starting out like when I did when I was 23 uh, 22 23 years of age your first object then is to try to get a mortgage but for our retainer is the only guaranteed. So a new person coming in is on eight and a half thousand retainer for the year. So when he goes to the bank, he or she, the bank will just laugh at you and say, is that your only guaranteed income? No, if you have a job somewhere else, but it's not every employer will leave you off, Patricia, because the busier stations could be out five or six times a week. Um, the quiet stations can be out as, as much at times in the busy seasons, you know, uh, gorse and stuff like that. And it's putting immense pressure. So if you do get a job, you're very lucky to have an employer that's understandable and to be very grateful. There's some fantastic, fantastic employers across the whole county of Cork who are very good to firefighters in the service. But there's other people in that just can't because maybe they have a particular machine that needs to be manned mm. for the whole 12 hours and they can't afford to have someone not on that machine if there's a call comes in, you know. And you know yourself, Patricia, look, you know, I'm sitting here now and in two minutes I could be in the fire engine on the way out the road. So you never know when the... Yeah, like, I as, mean, as, I, 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 rem- I remember a number of years ago being in a restaurant in uh, West Cork and uh, so, uh, suddenly you, you could hear in the background some kind of a beep went off and suddenly the chef runs out of the kitchen. Yeah. And we everyone <laughs> yeah. was looking and I remember... The there was Americans going, is, 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 what's, what's going on? Because then you could see we were sitting at the front of the restaurant. He ran out into his car and he was gone. So the, the manager yeah. of the restaurant came came out and said, sorry, um, the chef's after getting a call. He's a firefighter. And you could see the Americans yeah. looking bizarrely going. What? So he said, there'd be a slight delay. We have to get another chef in. So, I mean, everyone, everyone was quite understanding, but it was such a bizarre thing uh, to witness. But it was the, the Americans. I often thought about what, how did the Americans Americans relayed that story when they went home. The chef who was cooking our dinner in the restaurant is a part-time firefighter, and he got taken away. Do you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Crazy. I wonder, I wonder if I could. I might try that. I wonder if I try that at home, Patricia. How would it work? Ah, not very well, Jonathan. Not not very well. Okay, so you you went you went dark at the weekend. Explain explain where, where you're now because I think you're, yeah, n- you're so, nine um, weeks since industrial action first started. Yeah, so industrial action has been going on now since kind of sixth of June. What was happening was there was rolling strikes for a while. Um, that was 50% of the stations in Cork were closed. So that would be 10 stations open, 10 stations closed, depending on the geographic of some stations. They didn't close because they would be too far from the next fire station coming in, you know. So there was a bit, you know, there had to be a bit of um, work done on that as well, you know. Um, and then it rolled on. There was a break, then it went to the Labour Court. And now Saturday, last Saturday gone, it's we're just gone into a dark, it's a kind of a dark, darkness is what they're calling it, into the dark. There's no communications whatsoever. The call comes in, you answer the call, you finish the call and uh, you go away, you know. And you don't like doing that? No, absolutely not. Like, this is 
absolutely adding tremendous amount of stress to people. Um, I suppose I'm the SIP2 rep for the county of Cork. So I negotiate, you know, negotiate on Cork's behalf at, at national level. But then in our own county level, um, I link in with all the other divisions and all the stations and there's a rep in each station. So we're toing and throwing with information. And it's just, I can see it coming back every day with people. They're under tremendous stress. They're stressing their own life as it is. And now we've this on top of it. Like we're 13 weeks now outside of our norm. All, all we want to do is to be paid properly for the job we do. We, we, we don't want medals. We don't want pats in the back. We just want to be left do the job that we signed up to do. We did this job because we love the job and we like helping people and making a difference. And at the moment, it's not ma- people are under so much stress. It's just adding, you know, it's, we feel that the government and the ministers have just turned their back on probably the emergency services in general where fall into and has just said, look, you know, we're gone on holidays you do what you want to do, you know, and that's that's a fair kick, you know, yeah. to get off the government, you know. Um, and the, the killing thing is when you write a report, you you, you should act on the report. Why, why do you ask people to, to make recommendations for your report? And the report shows you black and white there that there's 13 recommendations and one of the biggest is recruitment and retention. So the service is actually dying as it is, Patricia. So if nothing happens due to natural retirements and natural non-interest in joining, stations will close. You can see we're gone from 12 to 9. If we go below any further, that's it. Mallow will be be closed every second weekend because we won't have staff to man it. You know, now thank God we've probably hopefully have someone coming in in the next couple of months to bring up the numbers. But like, I don't know when someone will decide to go next. You know, there has been stations where people have just packed their bags and gone. And you, know? you can be, um, and, and listening to you, Jonathan, I can understand why people say, yeah. I, I can't, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And then we had a text in from a mum saying, morning, uh, Patricia, as a mother of somebody connected to the retained uh, firefighters, this is getting way out of hand. Five uh, stations went into complete blackout at the weekend. Beepers handed back. A fire or a crash in Charleville, someone would have to wait for Mallow or Kilmallock to get to the scene. We are now talking lives and homes at risk because of the ignorance of the government. Have they any idea how a retained firefighter lives how their lives are on hold to do a job they love for 32 cent an hour. Yes, that's if you break it down, that's what it works out at. And now they can claim social welfare for when they are not called. And this week now they've decided to block this payment. Shocking, really, really shocking. We are going to see more fire stations uh, closing. And that's from a mum, obviously, whose son or daughter is a retained uh, firefighter. Yeah, summing it up. But the other point, Jonathan, that has to be pointed out, what you guys and gals do is you save lives, which you also risk your own life. You never know going out on a call. You don't, Patricia, I suppose. You know, it's just uh, life in general now. We never know, like, what the next call is going to be or wh- what position we're going to be in and put on. And I suppose we go out and, we, you, you know yourself from reporting it, we're on a seriously busy road that has major, major traffic accidents. And every time we step out of that fire engine and I step out as the officer in charge, I fear for every one of my crew that I can get, we can get the job done and everyone can step back into the fire engine because we're on the most, that is the most serious part of the job when you're on a live road mm-hmm. incident with a traffic accident because people in general want to have a look at the accident and the next minute they're looking and they're gawking and they're taking their eyes off the road and we've had people clip 
firefighters crash into cones in the side of the road because everyone feels we everyone feels they need to have a look. There was a major traffic accident a couple of weeks ago, and the guards were there. People couldn't see the guards. Thirty-five people were on their mobile phones that Fair the guards man. pulled in, recording. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In the incident oh as, a, as it was happening, it was, I just thought it was just ludicrous. So that's the risk we do. And as I said to you, we don't want medals. We don't want pats on our back. We just want to be able to do our job safely, bring the crews home to their families, because once the job is finished, they have to go home to their family then and they have to put a smile on the face, Patricia, with what they're after seeing. They have to smile and they have to be nice and they have to go to bed and they get up the next day and go to work. And then if they're out in the middle of the night, they have to go to work the next day as well and do their employment if they have an employer to keep them happy. So it's a very, very, very hard balance for very, very small money and lack of respect from the government. Uh, yeah, I think that you fit it on the head. It's respect. You need to be respected. And, 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 and every one of us, as I respect yourself, Patricia, or anyone that does their job. Okay. With the utmost respect for everyone, but we, we, the government have just turned their back and said, "We're off, in the, we're off to the sun, which we don't have any at the moment." And good luck to you, and and you continue on and do what you we'll, want to do. We'll check know? back in with you again, uh, Jonathan. In the meantime, thanks, uh, Patricia. Stay, I really stay... appreciate you taking the call. Um, and look, um, you know, um, I just hope it gets resolved soon because it's just, it's just it's not crazy. fair. It's not, it's not a nice system to have the public out there worrying about who, where the fire engine is going to turn up from. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's tremendous. It shouldn't happen in, in this day and age. 
you know, and we're not asking for much. We're just asking to be to be paid properly for the work we do. Okay. Listen, we'll uh, we'll talk again. Thank you, Patricia. Jonathan, stay safe and uh, look after yourself. That is uh, Jonathan Madden, who's a, a firefighter out of Mallow, but he's also the SIP2 uh, rep for uh, County Cork. It just is shocking that they're not being looked after and looked after uh, properly. Time for our monthly chat with the Citizens Information Service and uh, Karen Crowley, who's Information Officer with South Munster Citizens Information, uh, joins me this morning. Uh, good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're very welcome. Are you busy? How busy are you at this time of the year with Citizens Information? Still busy. Um, constantly busy, actually. But yeah, it's fairly consistent. We're open, as you know, here in Mallow for drop-in and appointments, as well as being contacted by phone for those people who cannot come into the offices. Okay, and that's it's the same all over the country. But uh, um, uh, the phone service seems to be working really well. But you are as now uh, with COVID times, you weren't available for drop-ins, but you're back open now with drop-ins. But we're at that time of year, right in the middle of the holiday season, and we do hear about people who have booked flights, go on holidays, and for whatever reason, flights are getting cancelled, flights are getting uh, delayed. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Uh, what the type of protection that's out there for people, Karen? Absolutely. And air passengers have specific consumer rights under European law, namely EC Regulation 261-2004, which I'm sure everybody's running to to write down. (laughs) These these rights vary in relation to cancelled flights, long flight delays, denied boarding and downgrading. Okay, so can you start by explaining the different rights a consumer has in connection to a completely cancelled flight? So if your flight is cancelled, regardless of when you're notified of the cancellation, your air carrier must offer you the choice between, one, rerouting as close as possible to the original departure time, secondly, rerouting at a later date, or a total refund of the cost of the unused flight ticket. And your other entitlements will vary then depending on when you were notified about the cancellation. So if you receive less than seven days notice of the cancellation and you chose option one and were given rerouting which departed no more than one hour before the original departure time and arrived no more than two hours after the original arrival time you are not entitled to compensation from your air carrier however if you chose option one and were given rerouting outside of those time frames you are entitled to compensation unless the carrier can prove the cancellation was caused by extraordinary circumstances And it's important to remember that if you choose to be rerouted as soon as possible, then the air carrier must provide you with care and assistance whilst you are waiting on your alternative flight. And care and assistance consists of things like meals and refreshments, um, reasonable relation to the waiting time, hotel accommodation if there's an overnight stay, transport between the airport and the hotel, and two telephone calls and or emails. And now... Also, if the airline does not provide the above assistance to you and you're forced to make your own arrangements, it's really important that you retain all of your receipts as you will be entitled to reimbursement of your expenses. That's for people who get less than uh, seven days. And then this is where there's various others, depending on when you get the the notice of the cancellation. Yes, so if you received your notice between seven days and two weeks, Prior to it, prior to departure, and you had chosen option one and were given rerouting, which departed again no more than two hours before the original departure time and arrived no more than four hours after the original arrival time, you're not entitled to compensation. But if you had chosen option one and were given rerouting outside of those time frames as before, you are entitled to compensation unless the air carrier can prove cancellation was caused by extraordinary circumstances. 
Now, if you receive more than two weeks' notice of cancellation, then you are not entitled to compensation from the air carrier. But remember that where a town, city or region is served by several airports and your air carrier offers to reroute you to a different one, then it must bear the cost of your transport from that alternative airport to the original one or to another close-by destination agreed with you. Okay, and when you mention compensation, what are we talking about? So if a dispute arises between you and your air carrier regarding the existence of extraordinary circumstances and the payment of compensation, the matter should be referred to the appropriate enforcement body. And in Ireland, that's the Commission for Aviation Regulation. So it's really important to, and we would have that up on our website as well. Okay, for some unfortunate people, they end up getting denied boarding of their uh, flights. They're actually at the airport. What happens there? So there's two types of denied boarding. You've got involuntary and voluntary. So involuntary denied boarding, this happens where you're involuntary denied boarding if your air carrier refuses to allow you board your flight, even though you pose no health, safety or security risk to the air carrier and you arrive at the airport with a confirmed reservation, the travel documentation required to complete your journey and sufficient time to complete check-in security and boarding procedures. So where this happens, where involuntary denied boarding occurs, your air carrier must offer you the choice between rerouting as soon as possible, rerouting at a later date at your convenience, and a full refund of the cost of the unused flight ticket. Also, if you choose to be rerouted as soon as possible, then the carrier must provide you again with care and assistance while you're waiting. So again, that's the meal and refreshments, the accommodation or the transport between the airport. And if it doesn't provide the above assistance, hold on to your receipts as you will be entitled to reimbursement of the expenses. All right. And that can sometimes happen if a flight is overbooked. It can. It can. Mm. We've all heard of it. And the air carrier in this case must also compensate you for involuntarily denying you boarding. So the amount of the compensation varies depending on the distance of your journey and the time frames within which you were rerouted. And then, of course, some people voluntarily go when it's pointed out to them that the, the, the flight is, is overbooked. Some people volunteer not to board. They do. Sometimes an air carrier will call for volunteers to surrender their seats in exchange for benefits. So if you agree to give up your seat, you are voluntarily denied boarding. And in addition to the the benefits mentioned above, your air carrier must offer you the choice between, again, rerouting as soon as possible, rerouting at a later date at your convenience, and a refund of the full cost of the unused flight ticket. It's up to you, really, what other benefits you agree with the air carrier. But remember, if an air carrier calls for volunteers and an insufficient number of passengers offer to give up their seats, then those passengers who did not volunteer but who are refused boarding, they are still considered involuntarily denied boarding. All right. And sometimes they can, I, I know I had a, a sister-in-law who was going back to Australia and the, the very same thing happened. She ended up getting a, a return flight, first class, free. Um, oh, I and, take that. Yeah, she did, yeah. And she only had to wait four hours or something. She said she, she took it in a heartbeat. She said it was great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, what about flights that have been delayed? So if your flight is delayed beyond certain time frames, the carrier should provide you with written information about your entitlements and also with care and assistance. And the time frames are as follows. So for all flights less than 1,500 kilometres, so that will be considered short haul, the delay must be greater than two hours. For European flights of more than 1,500 kilometres and all other flights of between 1,500 and 3,500 kilometres, so that's medium haul, the delay must be greater than three hours. And for all non-community flights of more than 3,500 kilometres, long haul, the delay must be greater than four hours. 
So if your flight is delayed by more than five hours, regardless of the length of the journey and you decide not to travel, you are entitled to a full refund. And again, the care and assistance comes into it that we discussed earlier, the meals and refreshments, the hotel accommodation, the transport between the airport and the hotel and the phone calls, faxes, emails. And how is compensation determined? So following a 2009 European Court ruling, you're now entitled to compensation if you arrive at your destination three hours or more after the scheduled arrival time, unless the carrier can prove that the delay was a result of extraordinary circumstances. And if a dispute arises between you and your air carrier, the existence of extraordinary circumstances and the payment of compensation, the matter should be referred to the appropriate enforcement body, which again here in Ireland is the Commission for Aviation Regulation. Now the important bit, which is the amount of compensation payable, this depends on the distance of the flight. So if the flight is classed as short haul, the amount payable is €250 per person. If flight is medium haul, the amount payable is €400 per person. And a long-haul flight will result in compensation of up to €600 per person. However, the amount of compensation payable in respect of non-community flights of more than 3,500 kilometres long-haul may be reduced by 50% if you arrive at your destination less than four hours after the scheduled arrival time. Yeah, and you'd be surprised, you know, because a lot of people have flight delays and a lot of people don't claim that compensation. It can all be done online. I've heard of lots of people who got their... Uh, and it was, you know, a relatively easy thing to do, uh, you know, to, to get the compensation. So if you are delayed by any of the, of the, the times we mentioned to apply, there is compensation there for you. Now, how will a consumer know if their flight is short, medium or long, I suppose, is the obvious one, particularly when there's different amounts payable on the compensation? So the law states that when calculating the distance of a flight, you must use something called the Great Circle Method. And this method is traditionally used across the aviation sector to determine the distance between two airports. So you can view the Great Circle website where they can calculate the distance of their own particular flight and you can get that on www.gcmap.com. Now, I suppose what's really important as well is some examples of the different type of flight types. So a short haul would be something like Cork to Paris, Sharon, Shannon to Brussels, Dublin to Milan. A medium haul would be Cork to Rome, Dublin to Malta, or Shannon to Barcelona. And a long haul then would be, I suppose, traditional transatlantic flights such as Shannon to New York, Dublin, San Francisco. Oh, your ones to Australia, Dubai and all of those, they're all long haul. Um, Okay, all right, lots of information there. As always, it is available up on Citizens Information website. But just while we're talking to you, passports, and we're always saying to people, check your passports uh, before you get to the uh, airport. I'm certainly not getting that many calls in from people. Are passports getting renewed fairly efficiently and there doesn't seem to be as many delays? They are. It's not bad at the moment. I checked the DFA website because that's where you would go to check um, the turnaround time. So at the moment, for online applications, a first-time applicant, they're turning it around in 20 working days, which is pretty good. Mm. A simple renewal is 10 working days and by experience it can actually be faster but way less I, uh, yeah. I, had, I had a friend of mine only last week applied and uh, within 36 hours it was in yeah. it arrived return back. post yeah, yeah it's, it's fantastic, fantastic. Um, complex renewal then you're looking at 15 working days but that's all for online so if you're going to go the postal route all types whether it's complex simple first time or renewal then you're looking at 8 weeks Okay, and because and th- 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 they are pushing everyone to go online, but it, it does work well. But for some of them, you have to do it by the post, but you will be waiting uh, longer. Um, is there any other way of getting a passport? I mean, you know, emergencies, for example. There is. It's actually called the Urgent Appointment Service. Now, this service has 
offices located in Dublin, Cork and London. You must book an appointment before attending the office. And there are three types of appointments. And a fee will apply to this appointment service relative to how quickly you need your passport. So a same-day renewal service, these appointments can be booked three days in advance. A four-day renewal service, appointments can be booked three weeks in advance. And a five-day renewal service, and that's London only, these appointments can be booked three weeks in advance as well. And now you have the other type would be the emergency travel documents. So in cases of genuine emergency, a duty officer at the Department of Foreign Affairs can issue an emergency travel document of limited validity, so it might be a short time frame. And an example of emergency would be situations of substantial distress, such as the death or funeral of immediate family members abroad, urgent medical attention abroad. Or, but actually, it's also really important to note that it's not possible for an emergency travel document to be issued to minors, except in extremely limited circumstances, or to first-time applicants. And there is a charge of €110 Euros for this out-of-hours emergency service. Emergency travel documents can also be issued by Irish embassies or consulates to replace the passport that is lost or stolen abroad, something that we all fear mm. <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah, and I know during the the recent the fires uh, that happened, some people lost passports because hotels burnt down, for example, uh, and the embassies were great at issuing uh, travel documents just to get uh, the person home. So uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs are really, really good in those kind of emergencies. OK, so uh, lots of information as we give out uh, every month. Just remind listeners of how citizens information can be contacted, Karen. So as always, if you need information from us, you can give our service a call or check our website www.citizensinformation.ie. Sometimes it's best to give us, give us a ring and we will talk through your issue with you. As always, our service is free and confidential and you can contact us here in Mallow on 0818078000 or Bantry on 0818078390 and we are always happy to take calls at any time and offer information and advice. Okay, well, listen, we'll talk again in the coming months. Thank you for that and uh, have a welcome. good day. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That is uh, Karen Coakley, Information Officer, South Munster Citizens Information uh, covering North and East Cork County working out of Mallow. Of now, lots of texts coming in and I will, I need to read through them all while News at 12 is on so I will get to all of them in the next hour but some that I have spotted that I want to give a mention uh, to. Somebody was on to say, Patricia, there are no street lights in Harrison's place in Charleville. Could you look into it, please? Now, Harrison's place in Charleville, all of the streetlights, of course, it's it's in Vero, I think you pronounce it. They are the the crowd who look after the streetlights in County Cork and there's a number on the pole and you have to report it and there's a telephone number and we always tell people if the light goes out in your street, please report it. And they're really, really good at responding to calls that they get in from the public and going out to sort out the problem. So we got on to them about Harrison's place in Charleville and they did send an engineer out who in inspected the lights at Harrison's Place, but they say, unfortunately, further work is required on these streetlights. It isn't just as simple as changing the bulb, because normally that's all it is. It's only the bulb is blown, they get an engineer out, they'll replace the bulb and everything will be hunky-dory. There's a bigger, a bigger job of work, from what I can gather from that message, but they are aware of it and they are working on it. So hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. And then if you were joined uh, and listening to us last Friday, I mentioned GOMO. This is a phone provider 
who are operating the parent company is Air. Uh, we had people on the customers who were without GOMO. They had no phone, landline or mobile and it was causing quite a number of distress to a number of people. But in particular, we had somebody who got on to us. Uh, they were trying to run a business and trying to run a business without phones uh, is simply impossible. Uh, we contacted uh, GOMO who say there was an outage on, fr- on Friday and they're glad to report that they re- restored it and did everything back up and running by five o'clock on Friday. But they now say, depending on your handset, some customers may need to reconnect to the service by toggling in and out of flight mode on their phone following the outage. And that's because John Paul says we've had some uh, customers who are still having problems. So you need to toggle in and out. So switch on and off the flight mode on your mobile phone and that should sort it out uh, for you. It's kind of the old-fashioned thing, isn't it? Switch it on and switch it back on again, and it normally works. And God knows that does actually uh, work. And then John is in Blackpool. He is a customer of AIB. 70-year-old man, and he's had his health issues, including three fractures in his spine. He's living on his own. And he's what he describes as a good walking distance away from his closest AIB branch. There obviously, I don't know if there's one in Blackpool, pool but it's a, it's a good walk uh, away. Now he said next door to him there's a garage that does have an ATM machine so he's able to get money out of that but unfortunately the ATM machine doesn't issue a bank balance and he's trying to find out how much is in his bank. He's contacted AIB and they said they can't give him a bank balance over the phone. Uh, he needs to do internet banking. He said, I don't have internet banking because I don't have the internet. So the only way, John says, I can find out how much is in my account is I'm going to have to make that walk into the nearest bank branch to get my balance. I think that's very unfair, says uh, John. And particularly when he's suffering with his spine, you know, he obviously finds walking difficult. But isn't it crazy that they couldn't just ask you some security questions and be able to give you that information over the phone? It, it doesn't seem like great customer service, does it? Pat in Tuhalo was listening to Jonathan talking about the plight of the retained firefighters and how little they are uh, paid. Um, it just really is shocking when you think of how it can absolutely take over their lives, particularly when there's a shortage of of firefighters. I mean, not being able to go anywhere outside of where you live for two and a half kilometres. We all know what that was like, as Johnson explained during COVID times, but to, to live your life uh, like that and it just it inf- interferes with your entire family life as well and, f- and, and it is the partners of firefighters who are so supportive and who allow them to do the great work that they do, but we, they should be acknowledged, they should get the respect they deserved and they certainly financially should be uh, looked after. Uh, it got Pat thinking, he says, when you look at local councillors and what they get paid for both payment and expenses that can add up to a lot of money. Yet our firefighters have to stay within a radius of their own town, which councillors, elected members of the local authorities do not. All of these payments need to be looked at. So Pat is suggesting that the firefighters, I'm assuming, should be well, well looked after. And then a number of texts, let me give you some of the texts because a lot of them are, are making similar points to the story I told you that's coming out of America not out of America, it's coming out of Australia and it is to do with um, a a lady noticed that her little seven-year-old daughter is best friends with the girl next door and when the little seven-year-old from next door was playing, she noticed that her head, she was 
really, really um, furiously scratching. She discovers that the little girl's head from next door was cry- crawling with head lice. So she you know, had a word with the mum next door and the mum said, yeah, I'm aware of that, but we are vegans and I don't want to harm any living uh, creature. And the mother said, what we're doing is I bring her out the back and I try to comb out the lice and nits into the garden, in giving them the best chance of survival, but wasn't doing anything any sort of medical intervention or a chemical intervention to get rid of the uh, head lice. And I think that is the only way, isn't it, the chemical intervention? Anyway, uh, particularly when you've got infestation like that, some people's thoughts and comments on that, this. Patricia, the world has gone nuts. If the lives of lice are more important than a child's well-being. A child with head lice is open to being ostracised by her schoolmates and bullied for spreading critters, as they would say in Australia. If that happened in Ireland, I'm telling you, I would report the matter to Tusla. What a cruel mother to subject her her child to endless itching. Anyone who suffers from eczema, eczema will know that unabating itch. It is pure torture. That poor, poor little girl. My heart breaks for any child who is forced to endure such cruelty. This listener is calling it out as cruelty is what's going on in that family. Somebody else says head life infestation should be reported and controlled. That mother is not thinking of the child. The child will be ostracised. She won't be allowed to play with her other little friends. Martin says on the head life in Australia, well Patricia, that girl should be taken to the Australian Health Board. It should be reported. Somebody says report. I will be reporting it to Childline if it was in this country for causing undue suffering to a child. Uh, Where's the child first policy? It is uh, shameful. I don't know if if Childline would be able to help you here or not, but certainly they would be able to advise you. But yeah, most people are saying it, that should be uh, reported. 0818103103. And then on the the person who contacted us over something that they witnessed when they were down in Fota yesterday. They were down in um, Fota Wildlife uh, Park and the, the play area, the... the the park where the children play, playground. And uh, she witnessed a lady with a young baby who was breastfeeding, but she was exposing her breasts while she was breastfeeding. And then she was walking around the slide because she was looking after another uh, child and just wasn't comfortable with it at all and kind of saying that there is a time and a place. Some uh, people's reaction on that. Hi, uh, Patricia. Uh, Because I was making the point that certainly when I'm out and about, I think there's nothing more natural than watching a mum breastfeed her baby. But certainly any that I've ever witnessed always do it very... you imagine the majority do it very, very discreetly. When another person says, Patricia, no, it's not always done discreetly and it should be, after all, an intimate part of a woman's body. Not all things natural should be done with an audience like lovemaking or going to the toilet. There's a time and a place for everything, says this texture. Women can always use a pump and do a bottle feed if they know they're going to be out somewhere where they can't be guaranteed adequate um, privacy or, as you say, have some kind of a all with them. But what we have to remember, there are exhibitionists today among women who like to push the bounds of common decency when that doesn't need to be uh, the case. And after all, the baby can still be fed and looked after, but you can do it discreetly. Uh, Martin in Formoy says, what is wrong with people in this backward country? Will people not learn to mind their own business? So what if that woman had one boob exposed? She has a right to have her two boobs out if she wants. 
<laughs> cop on people and look after your own lives before judging uh, others at Martin. I don't think anybody wants somebody in a play park with a lot of other children and mums and dads. Nobody would be advocating that the woman takes off her top completely and, and exposes herself. I, I mean, I certainly am all for the breastfeeding, but do it discreetly. I don't know if I would be on for her uh, doing that. But anyway, thank you for your, your text. Hi, Patricia. I totally agree with your listener regarding what she witnessed in photo. There is a time and a place for everything. Breastfeeding is shocking in restaurants and women aren't always discreet about it. Yet if men expose themselves uh, like that, people would take huge offence. I just avoid restaurants and public places if I spot anyone openly breastfeeding. I don't know if I'm with you on that, on the restaurants. I mean, a mum with a young baby has just as much right to go out and enjoy a family meal and if baby needs to be fed, baby needs to be fed. But as I say, please just do it discreetly. Hi Patricia, people seem to have forgotten dignity and respect these days. And the original texter has been back on to say, thank you for reading uh, out my text, but I didn't say anything about not breastfeeding. I don't have an issue around not breastfeeding. I just think she should have respect for herself and be discreet and respect for other adults and children who were also there witnessing. That's all. Okay, thank you for that. To 0862103103. And then on housing for all, I was talking earlier with Threshold and we were talking about, unfortunately, the number of people who've got notices to quit, particularly since the eviction ban was lifted and it's seen an increase in people now scrambling to try to get accommodation. And of course, the minute I mentioned accommodation, we ended up getting a flood of texts in from people saying we need to be looking after our own first and, you know, um, Ireland for... Ireland for the Irish and housing Irish first and giving everything to Irish people first and, and that argument always comes out whenever we mention anything be it, be it housing or any kind of other uh, service. Anyway that's led to somebody said Patricia all of this complaining that the government is helping foreigners in, instead of helping their own is really starting to get very tiresome. There are very few countries in the world that hand out to all of their people, to Irish people, subsidised health, education, social welfare, job seekers allowance, child benefit and now free medical cards for six and seven year olds. It seems that the more you give, the more they want. And maybe it's time for them to start taking control of their own destiny. Everybody should have to do a certain amount of community hours in order to receive any kind of social welfare benefits. And I would even include free housing on that, says a texter who is getting tired of people complaining, uh, people just wanting more and more and more. And we are a generous country and we do look after our own, is what this texter is saying. But those people who are already receiving from the state are looking for more. Your thoughts welcomed on that? 0818 uh, 31033 and Jack says Patricia did you see yet again more tourists getting beaten up in Dublin oh god when I saw this being reported yesterday I just thought here we go here we go again and before I'd even all I'd heard was that the tourists had been set upon and uh, taken to hospital and then I was thinking oh, I bet you that we're going to go back now to a group of teenagers again are we that are just nothing better to be doing with their time and then of course it's been announced that a teenage boy has been arrested in connection what has now been described as a serious assault and robbery in Temple Bar on Friday night three tourists they were from the UK actually have subsequently found out they were over to play some kind of a soccer match they were part of a young uh, soccer team anyway badly injured and hospitalised as a result of the in, of the incident. Gardaí in Pier Street charged a male teenage 
juvenile we don't have an age yet in relation to the robbery in the serious uh, assault and it happened around 10 o'clock on uh, Friday night now he's due before the children's court this morning Gardaí and Pierce Street arrested the teenager after the three men who were in their 20s were taken to St James's Hospital and were treated for their injuries now they have subsequently been um, released and they've got straight back on the plane God help them and they have gone uh, home it's understood the men suffered broken noses and actually one of the young men had a, as a fractured eye socket. Oh my God, the pain of that. And in response to the latest alleged attack on tourists, one Fine Gael councillor, Ray McAdam, uh, speaking in the Irish Independent today, he says that the Garda Public Order Unit should be out on the streets of the inner city every single night. And he said particularly around that uh, area of Temple Bar and around O'Connor Street, which are kind of the busiest areas of Dublin at night time. He said Dubliners, tourists and everyone in the city centre must be reassured that there, that, that there exists a highly visible police presence to maintain public safety and apprehend those involved in these senseless attacks. Guard the boots on the ground, visible to all is what is necessary to try to stamp out this type of anti-social and criminal activity from occurring on our city streets. And I see this morning the Justice Minister Helen McEntee said in a statement that violence on our streets will not be tolerated. They have to be dealt with in the strongest possible uh, manner. Those who perpetrate the street violence and thuggery, she says, will be brought to uh, justice. But everyone will wait and see what's going to happen when they go before the children's courts anyway. Uh, the Minister then went on to assure Angarda Siakana that the government will provide whatever resources are needed and of course she mentioned once again that she did give out last week an extra €10 million Euro in funding for Garda overtime just for uh, for Dublin and, and it's to, to give extra Garda shifts in the city to the end of uh, the year but you know is, is that working? Is that working? Is what about a week, 10 days after the American tourists when everybody was up in arms over what happened to that American tourist who ended up in, in a coma uh, in a hospital and thankfully he is continuing to make a recovery whether you make a full recovery or not we still don't know and it turned out then it was a 14, a 15 year old and a 16 year old or before the courts and it's yet to be decided whether, whether they'll stay before the children's courts or whether it will move up to a higher court and of course by moving up to a higher court then they can get a higher sentence. Your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Delivering roads and housing Community and business supports All across the county See corkcoco.ie Now the Ballydehab Summer and Old Boats Festival is back Lots to look forward to this week There's music and charades In the local pubs nightly From t- from Monday to Thursday The Kiddies Disco is on next Friday And don't forget the street Sports starts at half past seven also on Friday evening with the World Turnip Race. Saturday is music on the pier for the arrival of old boats and the grand final is next uh, Sunday with a fireworks display. So a great week promised 
for everybody in Ballydehab are if you're planning on visiting this week. The Mallow Field Club are presenting a historical walk of Glenworth Village with local historian Christy Roach. It's on tomorrow evening at 7pm from Glamworth Church and encompassing Glamworth Castle and Abbey. Refreshments afterwards in the local community uh, hall. And Shambali Moore Community Bingo is on tomorrow night, Tuesday, with a jackpot of 2,250. Uh, Euro, and there will be a used clothes collection in Gagan Hall next Thursday, half past six to uh, eight. And once once again, tickets for the community barbecue, fifteen euro each, will be on sale at the used clothes collection with a barbecue scheduled for Sunday, the twenty seventh of August. Court today on C one hundred three with Corrigan Insurances McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on c103. And just when I hear the jingle there for emails, you can always email a question for Annalise uh, as well. And of course, if you ever want to email the programme about anything uh, that you'd like us to raise on the programme, or if you've got concerns, you can email at any stage when we are off air. Cork today at c103.ie. I mentioned Gardi and what's going on in uh, Dublin with yet more uh, young men coming to Dublin for a couple of days away to play a game of uh, football and little they know they're going to end up um, being treated in hospital and to stay in hospital to be treated for their injuries it really is shocking and a young teenage boy has been correct um, has been arrested in connection with the uh, assault and of course the problem that we have with the Gardaí the, you know, the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee announced the 10 million last week and it's for overtime for the Gardaí one of the big problems is that we don't have enough Gardaí we're having a problem with the retention of Gardaí we're having a problem with the recruitment of uh, Gardaí and, and that's having a knock-on effect that we don't have enough then the boots on the ground that we mentioned. We don't have enough Gardaí to go out and police the uh, streets. Uh, Noel spotted something, and actually I saw it on the paper earlier today, and I wasn't aware of this. And he's right, he's saying, with the shortage of Gardaí at the moment. Did you see the piece that young, I think it's two recruits who ended up in Templemore, you know, they've gone through the interview process. They would have gone through a fitness test as well. You have to do a fitness test to become a member of Angarda Shiakona. They would have gone through all of that and they get to Templemore where they do their training and then once they're trained they head out into various Garda stations but two of them have been sent home because it's discovered that they had tattoos. How can the government expect to recruit and retrain uh, Gardaí that they already have a problem with when they're sending home young recruits who want to be members of Angarda Shiakona but because they got a tattoo in a previous life they now can't be a Gardaí. I wasn't aware of that but obviously if uh, I'd have to check but I'm assuming it is one of the rules and regulations that in order to become a member of Angarda Shikona you can't have a tattoo and do I take it that then once you become a member of Angarda Shikona do you have to sign something to say that you won't get a tattoo while you are an active member of the police uh, force. Now I wouldn't be saying that you'd want members of Angarda Shikona covered with face tattoos but surely a tattoo that can be covered by the uniform because if it only got picked up when these two recruits were in Temple Moor they obviously went through the interview process and no one noticed that they had any tattoos and they obviously weren't asked do you have any tattoos so I'm assuming when they went to Temple Moor and at some part in training when they had shorts or a t-shirt on that somebody noticed oi oi you've got a tattoo 
and then they've been sent home because of it. And I do, I would have to agree with you, Noel. It does seem crazy when we know we have a problem within Angarda Siakona in trying to retain the ones we have and also trying to encouraging more people to get uh, involved and to become members of Angarda Siakona. 0818 103 103. I read a piece that's in the Times today, actually. They got this under a Freedom of Information request from the Road Safety Authority and it is to do with complaints that the Road Safety Authority have uh, received following people failing their driving test. And of course, we all, any of us that did our driving test and went along, you know, you all think you're the best driver ever and for a variety of reasons you're going to fail. And we all like to think that there's some other reason why you failed. It could never have been your own fault. And of course, nine out of ten times when you hear somebody failed, they'll point it at the tester and say, it's got to be the tester's uh, fault. So under this freedom of information, uh, they discovered uh, some of the reasons why people then, and you are entitled, if you fail your driver's test, uh, you are entitled to write to the Road Safety Authority and lodge a complaint if you think you've been hard done by. So in one case, a person sitting their driving test later complained that the examiner had scolded them for whizzing past cars and the, the the person doing the test said I couldn't have been whizzing past cars because I was driving at the speed limit. In another complaint a learner driver said that they cut out three times during a hill start which of course is part of the test. The tester proceeded then to shout at the young person doing the test to say, work the clutch, work the clutch, which then made the young person cry. The learner driver said when they returned to the test centre, the examiner said, so obviously you failed. One person complained that at a test centre in Dublin, the tester made a big deal out of the learner driver forgetting where they had parked their car. Now, the learner driver said while the theory portion of the test was going on, that was fine. That went well. But things went rapidly downhill when they left the test centre to actually sit the test and start the test. She said, when we stepped outside, the examiner said, where'd you park your car? And the girl said, due to my nervousness, I forgot the exact location of my car. The person said, the tester then said, hmm bit of a bad start to your test, isn't it? And you can't even remember you parked your car. Now, complaints were, these complaints were made during March and uh, May. And other complaints included people who felt their examiners were rude. Some people felt their examiners were grumpy, as well as one person who said they were not allowed to sit their test. Why? Because they turned up for the test one minute late. Now that seems a bit and I accept somebody turning up 15 minutes, half an hour late because obviously the knock-on effect would be for the next person doing a test. But come on, one minute late seems uh, a bit a, a bit pedantic now on behalf of the tester. Another said that the tester had been obnoxious during the drive, shouted at them twice, which they said contributed them to subsequently making mistakes. Another complainant said that they were told to put down the driver's side window during the test despite the fact that there was torrential rain outside. And then the complainer said, 
This caused my right side to get soaked and it actually affected my vision due to the rain coming in on top of me. One tester was actually described as evil in one of the complaints with the learner driver telling the road safety authority and I'm, that she was surprised that the centre hadn't had a higher fail rate if that tester is there. Now, I don't know, as far as I know, do the testers, they move around. I think they're there for so many months and then they move move on. I mean, I would be saddened to think that any tester wouldn't have the patience because the testers know how nervous somebody is. But to have somebody shouting at you, I mean, and you know if you're anyway nervous and somebody starts shouting at you, it really does just make you worse and it is going to cause you then to make more and more mistakes where people went to the bother. Now, it, it, that's just a list of what they complained about. It didn't say that any of the complaints were upheld or not and I don't know under Freedom of Information if you can, can find out if they were upheld or not. And I do feel for the person who was that nervous going in that they forgot where they parked uh, parked the car. I mean, I put hand on, on my heart. I am forever doing that. I am forever walking out of a shopping centre and a trolley load shopping. I can't remember where I parked my car. And that's got nothing to do with nervousness. The hobby would say I'm just not paying attention and I don't know what what that is is or not. I'm putting it down to uh, women of a certain age. But anyway... (laughs) So, I mean, I do feel sorry for the, for the person and and as well, to you know, to have had the test, you know, smartly saying, bad start to the test, isn't it? And you can't remember. And again, I'm assuming the fact that she wrote and complained, she must have failed. 0818 uh, 103 103. Get your questions in, please, for Annalise Dussel, our nutrition and therapist. Text her WhatsApp questions to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Suggestions coming in uh, on the uh, young, on the yet again, uh, a young teenage uh, boy before the courts uh, for antisocial behaviour and for for viciously attacking uh, three young uh, tourists who were over from England at the weekend. Somebody is suggesting that we need to open up Spike Island. Reopen Spike Island in Co for all those young thugs or recruit all adolescents into the army or into Garda training uh, with the right people. It might actually stop all of this uh, violence. Something needs to be done about it. And uh, somebody else is a particular great program. Thank you. Uh, the level of antisocial behaviour in Dublin was highlighted long ago, but until Ireland was internationally shamed due to the antics, uh, due to attacks on tourists, the Minister for Justice was in denial. Meanwhile, earlier this year, we heard reports of Irish Gardaí being deployed to Disneyland in France. God, I'd forgotten that story. Yeah, that was back in the in the spring. Now, in France, the French gendarmes are supported by their own army, giving them a highly robust public present. Given our low guard, the numbers, we should be putting the army out on the streets of Dublin with a soldier accompanying each guard rather than having two Gardaí walking together. This would double the presence but it also uh, would not also uh, detract from the Garda role as the army will be there to support them. The army should not object to this role because parts of Dublin 
appear to be in a state of anarchy. So it is an emergency. Guard the management and the Minister for Justice must take stringent me- measures to turn the uh, tide. Yeah, and as Minister for Justice should be over both the Army and uh, the Gardaí. Oh wait, thank you for your text. 0818103103. Let me go to the phone lines where Annalise Drissel uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I'm straight in with a question that came in bright and early this morning from uh, Mary, who has been was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes about a year and a half ago. She is on medication for the type 2 diabetes, but she's having a run on bad health. She's got high blood pressure, her cholesterol is high, her thyroid is playing up, and she's now has been diagnosed with fatty liver and cysts on her kidneys. She said she's feeling tired and worn out all the time, and she's wondering could you suggest anything just to give her a little bit of a lift? Okay, so normally I would suggest the source of life gold and that would be fine with type 2 diabetes medication. There is a tiny bit of ginseng in it so if she's been on her blood pressure medication for a long time and it's well controlled it would be absolutely fine to take the source of life gold for a month um, because that ginseng sometimes can raise blood pressure. So that's the only thing for, I would say, to people that weren't on medication and if it wasn't well controlled, best avoided. So that's always good for kind of a tonic just to give you a, a bit of an energy boost. If she um, can't take that because of um, uncontrolled blood pressure, the Oxylent is another nice um, multivitamin or the Revive Active is very good as well because there's stuff in there for a boost and they both come in sachet form and they would be suitable with medication for all of that but it sounds like she's kind of a lot going on with the fatty liver is often associated with the type 2 diabetes and then thyroid can be autoimmune and type 2 diabetes can be autoimmune so Actually, she would very much benefit from a a nutritional consultation with a nutritional therapist or a nutritionist because they'd be able to help her hugely with diet and offer supplements that will work alongside her medication to get all of that under control. And then she'll start feeling a whole pile better without any need for a tonic. Okay, actually stay on tonic. Could you ask Annalise, is Source of Life Gold tablets better than the Pharmaton? tablets. I'm feeling very tired lately. Now I have had the bloods done. Everything is A-OK, thank God. Also, would you recommend something to help with sleep? I'm not sleeping very well. Firstly, Source of Life Gold tablets versus the Pharmaton tablets. I definitely think so because there's so much more stuff in the Source of Life Gold tablets. Like if you actually read the ingredients list, it's packed full of superfoods and mushroom extract for immune system function as well as all of your uh, multivitamins and minerals and a bit of ginseng. So it would have everything in the Pharmaton plus a bit more. So I definitely believe it's better. But then I think that the, I do think that the liquid is possibly better than the tablet as well. So if you can't stand the liquid, take the tablet. But um, if you can take the liquid, do that. And then in terms of sleep, so there's a few different things that are beneficial for sleep. And mostly the herbs are things like Passiflora from the passion flower, valerian, um, L-theanine, which is isolated from green tea. Um, what else is very good? Magnesium biglycinate can help as well. Lemon balm is another lovely one. Skullcap. So there's a number of different herbs that can help sleep. And some people benefit better from one than the next person. So I think valerian is probably one of the better ones that would work for most people. And you'll get that in any health shop. But the one that we sell that most of and that we get the best feedback on is NHP, it's Natural Health Practices, the company that make it, and it's called Advanced Sleep Support, and it's actually a blend of nearly everything that I said there. And it's brilliant. All the natural remedies work to make you feel very relaxed, 
So they bring down the hormones that cause the busy body, busy brain, and they let you have a good natural sleep so you're not groggy the next day. Okay, I love this one. Any advice for a bloated tummy in the morning, nice and flat, and by the evening I'm looking like Kermit the Frog, says Paula. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good description. (laughs) Yeah, and actually, if you felt you could rib it it out like Kermit the Frog as well, it would probably relieve it, so that's a great description. Um, So bloated stomach typically could be, and especially if it develops during the day. When I hear that, it makes me think that somebody is not digesting probably carbohydrate foods very well or maybe eating too many carbohydrates in the diet or possibly have an imbalance of bacteria that are fermenting the fibre in vegetables. And that fermentation process produces that type of gas that causes the bloating. So I would probably suggest both a digestive enzyme and a probiotic, and that would address it from both sides. So in terms of digestive enzymes, If you are a person who gets heartburn, you need to avoid digestive enzymes that have any kind of um, stomach acid support in there. Um, And that would be the things like the Viridian digestive enzyme and the um, um, Quest to do a digestive enzyme. But those ones are absolutely fantastic if you don't have heartburn because they really help in terms of breaking down fats and proteins as well. Um, Very good enzymes that we would recommend would be the Udo's enzyme and also uh, Nature's Plus do one called, um, it's called Ultrazyme. And both of those we get great feedback on and neither of those have that acid in there. And then in terms of probiotic, try and go for a broad spectrum one with as many strains as possible. In a health shop, you'll get like BioCult is pretty good. Nature's Plus do a lovely one with 18 different bacteria in there called Immune Microbiome. And Udo's 8, we always get great feedback on that as well. Combine the two of those, and if they don't work, it's possible you've got something called SIBO, S-I-B-O. You can Google that and look up the symptoms, and if you have that, then that'll be a different approach that they can come in and discuss in the shop. Okay. Hi. Um, and as you say on acid, um, where, what causes acid in the stomach, says this listener? Is it acid from your food? That's from Liz. So, no, acid is actually released from our stomach. So we have cells in the base of our stomach that released in um, hydrochloric acid, which is one of the strongest acids in the world. And it's very important because it kickstarts the process of digestion, particularly of proteins. So if you don't have good, strong stomach acid, you'll find it very hard to digest protein. A typical question I would ask would be, if you eat a steak, do you feel it sits there for ages? And if people say yes, it's possible that their stomach acid could be a bit weak. Um, also, acid helps to acidify things like calcium and iron um, and the other minerals and get them ready for absorption. So people who aren't, who have low stomach acid may find, you know, they might be more likely to be low in iron, low in B12 is another one actually very important, and maybe possibly even osteoporosis or penia because they're not absorbing calcium. However, the problem arises when either the stomach lining becomes exposed and the acid starts to irritate the stomach, or if that little valve at the top of the stomach becomes weak and you get acid coming back up. Now, some people do have too much acid, but most people, in my experience, have too little acid, so they have a difficulty digesting and they get fermentation in the stomach, which kind of bubbles and pushes it up through that weak little uh, sphincter muscle. So what I normally recommend is a course of zinc carnosin, it's spelled zinc, Z-I-N-C, carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. And that does two things. Tightens up that little valve, also nourishes the mucus-producing cells in the stomach so they can pro- provide a lovely 
protective layer of mucus. And then for some people as well, I might recommend something like Slippery Elm, which kind of acts like a natural Gaviscon, except it doesn't prevent you from absorbing minerals like Gaviscon does, like your calcium and iron. And it's a very healing um, thing to take. You take it before you eat, so it protects, but then you get the healing benefit of it as well afterwards. So do a combination of those. And if you really need it, get a digestive enzyme as well. And that should sort you out fully. Hi, this is from Anya. A question from Elise, please. Advice for migraine with aura, which is disimproved as I've, as I've headed into my 60s. I do have neck problems, which sparks a migraine sometimes. I just started on Boswellia for inflammation. Advice really appreciated as I can be in pain a lot of the time. Oh God, that sounds dreadful. Dreadful actually. And I think probably a lot of women start getting more migraines, um, perimenopause and menopause. It can kickstart a whole spate of migraines. But what I'm hearing here, Patricia, is the neck. And if the neck is bad, it can kick off a migraine. So I think that's really the secret, the, the answer here is get your neck sorted. Go to a good chiropractor. I just went to see my chiropractor this morning. She kind of adjusts the spine and gets everything aligned so there's no nerves being sort of pressured and pushed upon. Her name is Dr. Karina Maloney, and I can highly recommend her. Um, and I, I really do think that's probably the answer here. But in terms of migraines, things that can help would be magnesium. Um, that helps to relax the muscles if the muscles are very tense. And that can, you know, if, you're, if, if migraines are triggered by stress and tension. Um, if you spend a lot of time at the computer and try and go for the biglycinate form because I think that helps in terms of the neurotransmitters in the brain for migraine. The other thing as well that some people really find beneficial is 400 milligrams of riboflavin. It's one of the um, B vitamins, it's vitamin B2, but you need to take 400 milligrams, which is a really, really high dose of it, and you take it every single day as a preventative. And for some people, the combination of magnesium and riboflavin sorts them out. But in this case, I do think that lady maybe needs to get her neck addressed. Mm. Okay, and a final one then. Any advice, please, for a constant nasal drip from Mary? Okay, so... If I had a customer in the shop here with nasal drip, I'd ask the question, are you worse in the summer or worse in the winter? If you're worse in the summer, there might be some allergic to kind of pollen and uh, grass and things like that component. And if you're worse in the winter, it's probably mold. So in the summer, I'd suggest taking natural antihistamines. And in the winter, I'd suggest getting an air purifier into the house to try and take the mold spores out of the rooms if possible. And then in terms of supplements, um, Okay, so some people get a great benefit from NAC, N-acetylcysteine. Um, some people get a very good benefit from the Dr. Claire congestion blend and they take it preventatively. So they would take a, a spoon of it every day um, to prevent that. That can work very well. And then there is um, a nasal spray called X-Clear, X-L-E-A-R, which a lot of people find very beneficial. When you're using the Dimista over a long time, as well, Patricia, you develop a dependency on it. So if you stop using it, you get a rebound. So you get the nasal drip actually as a withdrawal from stopping the Dimista. So if you can replace it with a natural alternative, that could work very well. And then some people find that Ivy Thyme and Plantago work. So you probably need to try a couple of things and then maybe look at the diet. Possibly dairy could be a contributor, especially if you have it all year round. Okay, and very finally, tell me about the Fireside uh, Chat. This is part of the Cork on Fork Festival. So there's a great chat. uh, Fireside Chat really is a kind of just a discussion between like minds. um, So there's Dr. Ted Dynan, who's very well known for his work. He's a psychiatrist, but he's got a huge interest in the gut-brain link. And um, he's very involved in how probiotics can be used 
to benefit the brain. I'm there for the kind of natural side and to talk about what's worked for customers in the shop. And then there's a medical doctor there as well. And it's on at three o'clock as part of the Cork to Fork Festival. And it's free. You just need to go on to Eventbrite and get uh, Google Cork to Fork. And it's called, um, I think it's called the Food Gut Connection is the name of the talk. So if you Google that on Eventbrite, uh, somebody did say to me they thought it was sold out. So I hope... People you need to check. It, it is free, but you need to book your ticket. You have yeah. to book okay. A ticket. Be so it's in the day. Crawford uh, Gallery on Saturday, the, uh, the 19th at 3 o'clock. Good luck with that. And we'll talk Thanks next week, Annalise. Uh, bye bye. That is Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And of course, as always this afternoon, Annalise will put up all of the information on her website, healthhubstore.com. A couple of people are on about driving tests when I said the what was given out under Freedom of Information on the reasons people come complain about failing their driving test. Greta was on to say when I did my driving test as we came out to do the test the, the tester said oh, oh we're in a bit of trouble here I had a puncture so we changed it but after that I failed the test mainly due I have to say not being aware of the rules of the road. Greta said I reapplied immediately and I passed the second time and in WhatsApp in from Shane to say Patricia I passed my driving test for the first time only last week. Congratulations Shane at the young age of 31. About time says everybody around me but I have to say my experience couldn't have been better. Shout out to Anne, who was my tester on the day. She was lovely to deal with and almost without knowing it, put me at ease. I'm not sure how things would have gone if I was part of one of those horror stories that you mentioned earlier. Even at 31, it's still a very stressful enough thing to do. Well, once again, congratulations on passing, Shane. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning for Tuesdays edition of the programme at 10. On to the night, Patricia Messenger. A very good Monday afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.